Thank you for being here tonight. I hope I don't ramble too much. It's, it's hard to put into words sometimes some of the emotions and feelings of something that you care about so much in, in a manner in which it's un, uh, understandable. So uh, I'm going to start off by saying, what is my purpose? And why do I live in a land of plenty? Have you ever asked those questions just to yourself? Has it ever come across to you, you know, what is my purpose in life? As a teenager, this was a very, very strong issue with myself. And as I grow older, then that uh, comes more clear to light as to what I should be doing. And why do I live in the land of plenty when I could live in a place that doesn't have anything. Any time that I want to gather my thoughts or clear my mind, I take a drive down Highway 12, pick up 49, and go to the promised land. It's called home for me. And yesterday, I made a trip down there, and the leaves were changing, just like you were in Gatlinburg at the right time. And you think about God's creation and how fortunate, how could anyone not love Middle Tennessee? And why would anybody want to live anywhere else but in Middle Tennessee? In, in thinking of that, I think of my blessings, what I have that other people don't have. And when we go to these mission points, whether it be Central America or to, to Europe or to anywhere outside of the United States, and even in the United States, we, we've got mission points that people don't have things. Even in the United States, there's people that don't know where the next meal is coming from. So we have needs worldwide. In 1958, a group of people concentrated on the area of Panama in Central America to do some, some mission work. It just so happens I was born in 1958, so this rings home to me even more. Maybe this was my purpose in life, is to be a part of this group. And their, their ambitions, this group of men that went there, was to one, set up campaigns to preach the gospel. And this refers back to Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Number two was to set up medical teams that were mobile and ready to move from village to village if necessary. And this refers to Matthew 9:35, which treating the body and then reaching souls. Number three, native preaching. Somebody has to train those native preachers. And so they've set up native preacher training. And this goes along with 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And number four, native preacher support. You can teach them all you want, but if they don't have support to do their function, then, it, then they're not doing their function. And this goes with Romans 10, 15. How shall they go without someone sending them? 
Number five was the children's home. There's a lot of orphans in, in this world. And one of the things they want to do is set up a, a children's home. And this is uh, referred to in James 1:27, caring for the orphans. They also set up a printed word ministry. They set up a benevolence ministry. They set up construction teams. The congregation of Mount Juliet has been involved in all of the above for well over 10 years. Uh, I don't know the exact number of years we, we've been involved. Uh, seemed like I've been on 11, 12, I don't know, trips, somewhere along in there. Uh, for those who remember Bill Staggs, who was one of our elders here at one time, got the congregation interested in going to Central America. And from that one man's vision that he gathered from some more, someone else who had a vision, we've had every year at least one team of at least 30 plus people. I mean, there's the team when it gets there is usually 100 to 120 people, but at least 30 people from the congregation here go <clears throat> with a team. And even last year we had two teams go. The gospel is being preached. Phys physical needs are, are met. Medical needs are met. Souls are being reached. Churches have been, been established in these, in these countries. Our most recent adventures have been El Salvador. And we plan to go again in March, in the mid-March. There, there's a uh, specific date for that. I don't have that in front of me, though. But uh, it's... It's usually right at the end of the dry season, just before the wet season. It's the best time for us to go, with school being out at that time. What can I do? You know, if I, if I had interest, if I had interest in doing mission work, what could I do? I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a doctor. I, 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 you know, I don't have a profession that seems to apply here. Well, it's true we have doctors, we have dentists, we have eye specialists, we have nurses, we have interpreters, we have teachers, we have concrete workers, we have carpenters, and I'm a mechanic, so where do I fit in there? Well, every year I've found a job, or I have been placed in a position where that either I'm out of the way or I'm not doing any harm. But we're, <clears throat> we're you know, I'm busy doing something. So, could you go if you wanted to and you were physically able? Sure you could, because of all of the jobs that are available to do in mission work in Central America, the only job that I haven't directly participated in is being a doctor. And that may be scary to some of you, if you see me working with a dentist, and you see me uh, taking blood pressure and, and, and vital signs and weight and that kind of things. Uh, I enjoy cooking the most, so that's what I like to do. This last trip, I happened to be the head blame taker uh, of the trip. That, that is means that uh, I ensured that everybody got there and had a job to do while they were there and get them back. 
That has to be the worst job of all. So if there ever is a meeting that's unscheduled that you miss, you're the next leader. Remember that. As you'll see pictures, uh, hopefully, behind me here, these are general pictures of what the people look like, the places look like, and the things we do while we're there. And if you are interested in the specific numbers of people we treat, how many teeth we pull, how many prescriptions we write, how many souls are actually saved at the point where we're there, those numbers are available. Uh, we all, there is also a website that Valdosta has that uh, a lot of more information is available through there. What I want to do is not so much tell you facts and figures and numbers tonight, but what I want to do is inspire you to participate. Do you like to go camping? I like to go camping. This ain't no camping trip. Do you, do you like to sleep on, uh, on the ground? You'd enjoy this. Do you like it hot? You'd really love it down there. <laughs> do you like to be thirsty all day long and, and, and have a bottle of water in one hand and still be thirsty all day long? You'd like it down there. Can't drink enough water. Hot water even. Uh, water, cold or hot, you, you get all of it, all you can stand, and you're still thirsty. In meetings in preparation for our trips, we talk about things we do and don't do. And one thing that I talk about in one of these meetings is why I personally go. And one of the reasons is, after I think it was my second trip, they say you only remember your first and your last. It was probably the, one of the hardest on my soul that I've ever experienced. There's been a lot of tough trips, but never something that gnawed in my soul as the second trip I went on. And to see people in such desperate need, and they don't realize it, quite often. They never had nothing. They never expect to have nothing. They don't, you know, they don't realize a lot of times that they're poor. And they don't have anything. Expectations of their daily life is hopefully one good meal a day, consisting of rice and beans or something of that nature. But on my second trip, I saw a little boy who had just been to the dentist's office which has got to be the most frightening experience you can go to down there. I don't think our, we have any our dentists here, but um, you're working under conditions with no electricity, typically, which means somebody has to hold a flashlight down the throat of the patient. And you're working just with hand instruments, no x-ray machines, no special equipment at all. Anyway, I saw this little boy just made this doctor's visit to the dentist and he was sitting on a pile of rocks. His mouth all swollen up and he had the, the gauze in there and he had blood coming out the side. 
and the look in that child's eyes made me evaluate my salvation. That's when I knew that I was saved, not when I was 10, 11, 12 years old when I was baptized. That's, at that point, that's when I knew my salvation was sure up. That's one reason I continue to go back, to renew the source of knowing that my salvation is secure. I have all these things in my life. I have new cars, a nice home. My children have things. My grandchildren have things. They all have things. We all have things. What is my purpose? My purpose is to share those things. To share those things with people who don't have anything. Yes, I've lived paycheck to paycheck all my life, and I probably will till the day I pass. Week to week, paycheck to paycheck, but I'll have more than anyone in those villages will ever have. I expect to take them some comfort. I hope to bring them salvation, which certainly is more important than comfort and material things. We spend time and money in our daily walks as if it were not so precious. Some people have lots of money and no time. Some people have a lot of time and no money. Some people don't have much of either. Some people have a lot of both. I choose to take a week out of my life and take a vacation to a place that's hot and dry. And it is a true vacation for me because my soul is renewed every trip. To do some little thing to help somebody else. Could you be a doctor, a dentist, an eye care person, a pharmacist, or a nurse, interpreter, a carpenter, a concrete worker, you know, teachers? Can you do anything, any of those things? Are you in that profession? It don't matter. All you need is the will to do it. Here am I, send me. What is my purpose? And why do I live in a land of plenty? Ask yourself that sometimes when you're in your quiet place. Take that minute in a busy day, maybe right after a prayer, and ask yourself that. It's good that we have elders who are mission-minded to this congregation. Not only are they concerned about this congregation's souls, but they're concerned about souls worldwide. It's not that way everywhere, everywhere that I've ever been. And not only are these elders concerned about when we say souls worldwide, but it's your soul they're concerned about.
and your soul and your soul and your soul and my soul. So they put apart these monies to make these trips with. And we thank you for these generous donations that you've made in, in, in times past. For it be for individuals, I know there's been times that I couldn't go unless somebody said, hey, you need some money to go. Every year somebody makes it possible for me to go if it, if it weren't possible financially. Somebody makes it possible. So don't let that hold you back. What can I do to spread the gospel? Do I need to go to El Salvador? Do I need to go to Europe or France? Or do I need to go? No. Talking with my neighbor one day last week, and I was talking about going to Central America, and she says, you know, that concerns me. See, we got people in Appalachia just starving to death, don't have no clothes, don't have no, you know, no coats for the winter, don't have no shoes. So I understand that. I'm one who's willing to go sleep on the ground in a hot, dirty, dirty place. Not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants to make a trip to Appalachia or some of our mission points here in the States. But there could be a neighbor that needs a little mission work done on them. All you got to do is ask. Keep an eye open, a heart open for the opportunity to serve. And if all that my words run together tonight say only one thing to you, look for the opportunity to serve, to share your blessings to those who are less fortunate. Pat's going to take over now and talk a little bit about it. You know, Ronnie, I believe you missed your calling. I, I believe you need to be a preacher. Didn't he do a great job? I went on the second trip to uh, Central America. This was my first trip on any uh, mission trip outside the United States. Now, I've been on about seven of the uh, stateside missions. But uh, Buddy was looking for those that would go in July. And we left on July the 1st and uh, went through July the 9th. We went to uh, El Salvador, actually the capital city, San Salvador, and then about a 30-minute drive outside of that uh, capital city to a little community called Alta Vista. There is a Church of Christ in Alta Vista, and our mission was to go to help strengthen the church in that area. There is a preacher there named Victor and his wife, Anna Marie. They're a beautiful couple. They have, uh, I believe it's three children, and they're doing the Lord's work there. And we went there to strengthen that church. Four of us left from Mount Juliet, Buddy Pick Pickler and Sissy Pickler, Craig Gully, a college student that attends here, and myself. And we left early one Friday morning, and we got to El Salvador that Friday, 
afternoon, and when we got to the airport, I didn't know what to expect, but it was hot. It was very hot that day. Matter of fact, I, as I recall, that was the hottest day of the whole trip because it kind of smoothed out a little bit. But it was very similar to a stateside mission. If you like to study the Bible and if you like to teach the Bible, this is the trip that you want to go on. Our day consisted of when we met up with about 20 folks from uh, Valdosta. They had brought their youth group that summer to go on this trip. And the daily agenda, the daily routine was very similar to a stateside mission. We would meet down at the church building, which was a little room about 10 feet wide and about 14 feet deep. And we would have a devotional each morning, and then we would walk out into the neighborhood. And you could literally walk to set up your studies. The beautiful thing was you did not have any trouble setting up a Bible study. They look at American as a curiosity. I knock on maybe two doors before I get a study, and we'd go right in immediately and start studying with them. I'd usually get two studies in before lunch, and then try to get at least three after lunch. And if you've ever done one of these stateside studies where you go through about 39 verses of Scripture, it's tiring. It's mentally and emotionally and physically tiring to do this, to do these studies. But some days I would get five in, some days four, and then we would meet back at the building for uh, a time. We'd meet, uh, there was a nice mall area where we could slip over and have lunch and have supper, and then we would get back at the building. We didn't go back to the, to the hotel. We would go back to the building, and then we'd uh, spend a few minutes and then have a gospel meeting. Now, I didn't know until the day before I left that I was going to be teaching a new converts class. And that was taught while the gospel meeting was going on. And the gospel meeting is no ordinary gospel meeting. If you've been to one of these trips in Central America, two hours is nothing for a gospel meeting to go on. So I had to begin to prepare lessons for these two-hour time because I had to keep those folks in there for two hours that we were studying with. But it all worked out because God was with us and, and blessed us. We actually had, I think, nine baptisms as a result of our actual trip there and our work that we did that week. Now, I think there were two or three other baptisms, but they came from among those that had come in from the outlying areas of Panama and other areas of El Salvador. I had just about given up hope of ever uh, having any success. You know, the Bible teaches that all we have to do is, is teach the Word, and the Lord will bless that, that we just, our job is to plant the seed and get the seed planted and to teach. I taught on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no success. I taught well over 20 lessons by that time, Bible lessons to different ones. Some interesting things had occurred during that time. 
I could share those with you uh, maybe another time with some very interesting things. But again, you had no trouble getting into a home to study. About every third door, we'd set up a study because Americans are a curiosity. If nothing else, they want to look at you and, and see what you're like and what you're there for. I was about to think I was, never, I was not going to have any success at all because it had already had about eight baptisms. The last day on Thursday that we were out, that afternoon, a little boy and his mother was willing to sit down with us and study. The difficult part of setting up one of these studies is you have to go through an interpreter. I'd never done that before. That was a new experience of speaking through an interpreter. I had a young lady, maybe about 19 or 20 years old. Her name was Sarah. Beautiful. She was pregnant. She did a good job, though. She never slacked off. She would go and stay right with us. And every word that I would say, she would interpret that. And I was using basically mostly the same lessons that we set up on the stateside missions, many of those same scriptures to each of them. We'd go over them. But on this last day, a little 13-year-old boy named Kevin decided that he wanted to obey the gospel. That made my trip worthwhile right there. That made the entire trip for me, just like Ronnie was talking about the time that he experienced that on his trip, where he, he realized what his purpose was and why he was there. Little Kevin is baptized, along with all the others. They did not have a nice baptismal pool like we have behind me here. This little concrete building, which was originally a, an auto garage, they had turned into a church building. They'd gone out and, uh, thanks to Jack Farber, had gotten uh, maybe a, a little plastic swimming pool and filled that with water. And that's what they use to baptize these folks in. But little Kevin was baptized. And then I had the privilege of, even that last night, of teaching him one more lesson about the Lord's church. The lessons that I came up with as far as... Um, teaching the new converts, and I had one the very first night. Just give you the titles of some of these lessons, and if I go again, I want to sit down and try to rework these lessons, and uh, I think it'll mean a lot more to those folks they'll be teaching to. But on Saturday night, we taught them we are a holy nation. Sunday night, rightly dividing the word of truth. Monday night, one church. Tuesday night, the organization and worship of the church. On Wednesday night, things a Christian should do. And on Thursday night, things a Christian should not do. In the evenings, when I would teach those lessons, I had a male interpreter. His name was Cesar. His picture was in the uh, pictures up here a while ago with David Shannon. He's a young man who's on fire for God that he, when he would interpret what you said, he would always put a little extra, it seemed like, mm, in what you were saying. And he could really speak the Spanish, but also he could speak it 
with the way that he was getting God's Word out. We're blessed that we are sponsoring these churches down there where we have good, sound preachers in place. Victor and his wife, Anna Marie, Victor came to me the last day and said, I really want you, when you get back to Mount Juliet, you let those folks know and be sure to let the elders know how much we appreciate the support that we're getting. So the Lord's work is being done in El Salvador, even as we speak tonight. And it was a real blessing to get to go. There were nine baptisms. The names of those folks I've had on a card that I pray for them. I've prayed for them many times since I left. Nelson, Mario, Kevin, Leonardo, Estella, Edwin, Sonia, Ishmael, and Rosario. These are the nine that I got to teach in the class that I was talking about. They were beautiful people. They were people, as Ronnie's always said, has already said, uh, not well blessed with any wealth, but their hearts were touched by the Word of God. It was a great trip for me personally. I grew, as Ronnie says. You always grow when you go on a trip like this, whether it be a stateside mission trip or uh, one of these Central America, uh, Latin America trips. And these will be going on. They'll be coming up again this year and this summer. And as Ronnie's already done, I want to encourage you to be thinking about those, those trips. Again, if you like to teach the Bible, you'll get your chance in uh, one of these trips. And uh, on the stateside trip as well. But it was a great experience. Uh, I cannot describe to you the feeling that once you've just spent yourself completely in teaching the Bible to someone, and when you get to the point of baptism, and you say, would you like to be baptized for remission of your sins? And the big brown dark eyes look at you and say, I would. And uh, I said, well, when do you want to do that? And we carried him up there that night and baptized little Kevin into the Lord, as well as the other eight precious souls throughout the week. So it was a great trip. It was a good experience. And I want to encourage you, if you have an opportunity to do that, this was my first time, and I'm 60 years old, 61 now, to go on an outside or a foreign mission trip anywhere in the world. Christ said it this way, as we go to his blessing now, as we close this out and this evening out, as far as I want to offer the Lord's invitation in a moment. But the 11 disciples, I'm at uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he spoke saying this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. It was given to those disciples that day. It's given to me and you. That go ye means go. 
We need to, whether it's Ronnie said, whether it's next door across the fence, or whether it's uh, down in Chattanooga, the inner city, or whether it's in Alta Vista, El Salvador. We need to be mission-minded folks. We need to share the Word of God with other people. These things are in place and, and, and uh, ready to go for this year. Again, if you have an opportunity, I want to encourage you to go, whether it be on the stateside mission or one of these Central America mission trips. The Lord has given us the plan of salvation. It's an eternal plan. This plan was put into place, actually, before you and I were even formed. God knew in his infinite wisdom that man would fall, that sin would separate man from God. And he had a plan. From the Garden of Eden, he had a plan of how he was going to reconcile mankind with him. He would choose the appropriate time when he would send his son to this earth. And his son would come to this earth and he would live a perfect life only here 33 and a half years, but he would die a cruel death on the cross and shed his blood, God's only begotten Son. Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. He gave his life that we might be saved. Jesus said, that we need to repent of our sins if we're not willing to do this we're going to be lost Jesus said if you'll confess me with your mouth I will confess you before my father in heaven if we're not willing to do that we will be lost Jesus said that we not only have faith, repentance, confess, but we need to be baptized for the remission of our sins or we will be lost. And as we studied this morning, when we are baptized into Christ, we put Christ on. We're in Christ. We're saved. And then we try to live a life that be pleasing to God, knowing that we're going to stumble, make mistakes. And if there's any here tonight, that have obeyed the plan of salvation. And you feel like you're no longer in that close relationship with God that you need to have. We encourage you to also respond. Let's don't put it off. Don't wait. If there's any way that we can help you tonight, would you please come while we stand and sing?